Well, we are in Missions Month, the second week. We are in Missions Month. Thank you. I coached you guys all last year on this. This is how this works. We're in Missions Month, and we are talking about the different aspects of being on Jesus' mission. Last week, we talked about Jesus' mission, and we talked about you, right in front of you. We talked about how your value is actually found in your position in Jesus' mission, and not in how big your faith is, or the talents you have, or whatever earthly position, job, school, student, whatever you have. That our value is found in who Jesus has made us to be because we're created in the image of God and he said that we're good. This week, we're going to talk about this big word in scripture called disciples. It comes up a lot. In fact, when I was like, okay, well, let's look for some verses on disciples. Uh, but the disciples, New Testament, click. And it was like 190 results or something. So I had to kind of pick and choose. Next week, for missions for, for the 10th anniversary service, we're going to talk about the presence of God and what that means to us as a church community, both in the last 10 years and the 10 years to come. And what it means to have the presence of God with us as we live our lives on Jesus' mission. And in the last week, we're going to talk about how we're, how we're commissioned, how we're set apart to go on Jesus' mission. So our key verse for this passage is the Great Commission, found in Matthew 28. Jesus has died on the cross for humanity. He has risen from the dead, proving he's God. Now he's talking with his disciples. Resurrected Jesus. And he says to his disciples, he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. As we saw last week, verse 17, right before this, right before this little passage we read, verse 17 talked about how Jesus was risen from the dead, and some people believed him, believed in him, and some people doubted. And Jesus commissions all of them anyway. And how mind-boggling it is, this dude's been dead, and he's not dead anymore, and some people doubt it? What? But Jesus commands them to therefore go and make disciples. That's a word that's used a lot. Pastor Craig, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when I say the word disciple? Discipline learner of God. Pastor Fran, what's the first thing that comes to mind when I say the word disciple? I like it. I like it. All you are now very afraid. <laughs> if I don't pay you, I'm not going to call you out without warning you. All right. Uh, our main idea today is that every believer of Jesus is called to be a disciple and to make disciples. Because here in the Great Commission, Jesus is talking about his authority. We talked about Jesus' authority and how he delegates it to us last week. But Jesus says, hey, I have all this authority, therefore go into all nations and make disciples. 
And these followers of Jesus were already known as disciples, so it was assumed, hey, you guys are disciples, so now you're going to go and make disciples. What does that mean? Like that's a that's a great like churchy word. We've got to be disciples of Jesus. It sounds very spiritual. But every believer is called to be a disciple and to make disciples. So let's let's dig into what that means. And I think the first thing we got to be clear on is a disciple is one who goes. A disciple is one who goes. So if you're going to be a disciple, then you are someone who is going somewhere on Jesus' mission. And if you're going to make disciples, then you are teaching people to live the, the way of Jesus in a, such a way that they go into all nations and make disciples. So you do it, and you teach others to do it as well. But of course, Matthew 20, 19, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. What this means to you and to me is that sitting still is not an option. If we are going to be someone who therefore goes and makes disciples of all nations, then your spiritual life and your day-to-day life has to consist of more than just saying, you know what, since I believe in Jesus, I'm going to come warm a chair every Sunday, or maybe one Sunday a month. Let's not get crazy here. And then I'm going to go home. And I'm going to go back, I'm going to take that, my, my church spirituality compartment of my life, I'm going to check that box, because I went on Sunday, and now, now I go about my week, with, and then I'm going to check my work box, and I'm going to check my time with kids box, and I'm going to check my binging Netflix box. Not that any of you would do that. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. A disciple's life is not compartmentalized where I have the spiritual box and the, 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 instead in every single part of our life, we are looking for the opportunities to get up and go and do what Jesus told us to do, which is make disciples. So we do come together and we worship in a holy place because we're here together worshiping. And that's amazing. But then we walk out those doors and we go to lunch. I'm not talking about food before we get to go. That's mean. But and then you know maybe maybe your server stinks, and so you tell them off. Well, you you now compartmentalize because you don't have to be a follower of Jesus when your waitress sucks or your waiter sucks. What if you loved that horrible server and tipped them twenty five percent? Hmm. Maybe you don't know what's happened. Maybe their dog died that morning. Maybe, maybe their, their, their significant other left them. Maybe you, you don't know what's going on. So how do, how do we see every opportunity? How do we seize every opportunity to be an opportunity where we can go and make disciples and maybe talk to someone and love someone? And then we, we finish lunch and we go home. We do stuff with our family. How are you making disciples in your home? Maybe you have kids or you have a spouse who doesn't believe, or you have all these different things, opportunities in your home to make disciples. How are you seizing those opportunities? Instead of saying, oh, I'm done with church, now I can just, you know, kids, go away. Husband, go away. Wife, go away. I don't want to deal with you. How do we, how do we make disciples in our homes? And then we go to bed, and we wake up, and we go to our jobs, and we go to our schools. 
And sometimes we want to compartmentalize that. Well, we've been called not to sit still, but to go. So how in those places, in our workplaces, do we love people? And how do we make disciples? How do we go into our work and make disciples? Because Jesus here gives us a therefore. And my old hermeneutics teacher always used to say, whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, you've got to find out what it's there for, right? And Jesus, before this little spot where he says that, he says, hey, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Sitting still is not an option because we are walking in the authority in the name of Jesus. And so in every part of our life, whether we want to or not, if we believe in Jesus, we represent Jesus. Therefore, wherever part of your life, work, home, school, lunch, in all those places, therefore, because you are walking in the authority of Jesus, you need to go and make disciples. And you are responsible to make disciples. So I love, uh, there's another example of this in the book of Acts. So in the book of Acts, what's happened is, there's this part in the book of Acts where they ordain some deacons. Basically, there's some widows who aren't getting the food that they want, and they're complaining about it to Peter. And Peter's like, I'm not going to deal with this. I've got, got stuff to do. So hey, you godly men over here, you need to make sure these widows get their food. And they ordain them as deacons. Now these deacons do a great job, but then it turns out because what often happens when we serve wholeheartedly, then Jesus realizes, hey, if you're willing to serve, then I, I can use you in bigger and bigger ways. So he can start, start preaching and doing amazing stuff. And Stephen preaches to these religious leaders so passionately and with such authority that they kill him. Amen. It's all, it's all your day to go, right? Oh, Jesus, you've used me, and now they're killing me. Hallelujah. But that's what happened. And after that, a really big persecution hits the church. And they're actually, except for a small amount of them, they're scattered out of Jerusalem. And it says this, On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And this is the key. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Again, we want to compartmentalize and say, Jesus, if you bless me, if you do what I think you should do, if you put everything in a nice little line so it all looks like a divine opportunity, then I will go. And I will do what you've called me to do. And typically our reflex is when times are hard, when things are beating us up, when that person has said that about us or left us or whatever, then I'm going to stop going. Maybe you just did something stupid. You made a dumb mistake, and your reflex is, oh, well, you know what? I'm too messed up for Jesus to use me now. The mission of Jesus is too important to stop, which is why he tells us to go. And here, these early believers in Jesus, they are killing them. Not like you're killing me, Smalls. Like, like they are physically dying. They are throwing rocks at them until they die. Doesn't sound fun. So even in this persecution, even as they're scattered from their homes, 
They are leaving the places where they live, where their families are, where their livelihoods are, and they're being scattered out to places they don't want to go, like Samaria. A good Jewish boy doesn't hang out in Samaria. Maybe you can think of a place like that for you. They've realized the mission of Jesus is too important to be hung up when they've been called to go. A disciple goes. You know what else a disciple does? A disciple baptizes. This is fun because Jesus says, hey, by the way, as you go and you make disciples, you're going to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Or you're Orthodox and it's the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I forget. Which one? A disciple baptizes. This is, this is true in, in several different contexts. One of which is, of course, any believer in Jesus is supposed to be baptized. Maybe you're, maybe you're newer to the church, you don't know exactly what that means. A baptism is when we have a pool of water over here. Literally, we use a kiddie pool. And, or we've used a horse trough in the past. And you get into the water with me and I put you under the water. All of you. Unless there's a physical reason why you can't, and then we make do. And the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. We go into the water, we come out of the water. Symbolizes death to ourself, to sin, and new life in Christ as we come out again. It's a resurrection type of thing. And by the way, Jesus said you have to do it. So if you believe in Jesus, this isn't like an optional activity when I feel like it, when I can get to it, when I feel like I've gotten holy enough. It's none of those things. If you've made a decision and you believe in Jesus and you believe he died for you and he rose from the dead and he's forgiven your sins, then you need to hit on that My Next Step card on the bottom of your sermon notes and say, I need to be baptized so that I know I need to do it. We don't want to waste time. We don't need to, you don't need to sit on it. You don't need to figure it all out. You just need to say, hey, I believe, Pastor Eric, and I need to be baptized. And I'll take care of it, even though the water's very cold. I will step up for you. You have to get baptized. But also here, I want to be clear, Jesus is talking to all these apostles and disciples. And you say, hey, you guys can go and baptize people. You can baptize people. I don't have to. Isn't that fun? If you have a friend who you've led to Jesus and you've brought them to church and they've come to faith and all these great things, and you're like, hey, Pastor Eric, they want to get baptized. I want you to baptize them. Because you can. How cool would that be? It's not always me. Uh, and then I'm not the only one getting cold. And I like that. If anyone wants to get us a heater for the baptismal, you can make a check out to Element Church. Uh, but you can baptize others. And in fact, we see that with these deacons that we mentioned earlier. These people, these men who were set apart to feed some widows, they start doing these amazing spiritual things. One of those guys named Philip ends up baptizing someone. So, first off, this story's crazy. I don't know if you how much you've read the book of Acts. If you read the book of Acts in the 8th chapter, the Holy Spirit is literally teleporting Philip around. Like, boom, he was here, now he's here, and God's like, do this. That's a spiritual gift you don't hear many people claiming to, like divine teleportation. Um, but he's being teleported around. She's so cool. And he encounters a eunuch. You don't know what a eunuch is? Ask someone else. 
Pastor Craig will explain that to you after church. Or Pastor Tim, because he doesn't know we're talking about it. And if you go up and ask him what a eunuch is, that'd be a lot of fun. For me. And he encounters this, he, this eunuch's a royal official of, of Ethiopia. And he's reading scripture, and Philip explains it to him. And then we hit this point where it says, As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in my way of being baptized? Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. Philip is not an ordained pastor. Philip is not an apostle. Philip is just a guy who the apostle said, Hey, by the way, we don't want to deal with these whiny widows. Can you do that for me? And he was like, Yeah, I'll, I'll help them. And Philip is here being teleported around by the Holy Spirit, and he gets to baptize this guy. How cool is that? And he gets to baptize someone who in the culture of the time, under the Jewish, the whole Jewish system, because he was a eunuch, he would have been ceremonially unclean and not allowed to worship God in the temple. And in this new way of Jesus, Philip gets to take him and say, you are allowed into the presence and the purposes of God. There's nothing holding you back from being baptized. What can stand in my way? And for the people of Jesus, it's nothing can stand in your way. I don't care what you've done. I don't care who you've done it with. I don't care whatever drugs you put into your body. I don't care what you've said. I don't care who you've kicked. I don't care if you don't like cats. Look, here's water. What can stand in your way? Nothing. And for those, that, those friends, those family members, those co-workers that you're around every day that God is telling you to go to them, what can stand in their way? Nothing. If you're willing to go, no matter what they've been through, no matter what they've done, you can go to them and say, Jesus loves you. And I love you. This works in a couple of different ways, too. I think this is a great example of Christianity baptizing culture. Because here Philip is taking the stand and saying, this thing that was unclean in the old system, well, in the system of Jesus, we're saying, boom, we're putting that under the water. And Christianity has done this for a long time, right? We have a real history of taking pagan things and being like, I think we could use that. Let's redeem that. Put it under the water. Want a good example of that? Christmas. How many of you know Jesus wasn't born on December 25th? But there was something else going on around then, and some other religious festivals happened, and we, we said, you know what, we're going to take this, and we're going to use this date for these particular reasons. We baptized it. We said, this now belongs to Jesus. We do that in simple ways. We take little bits of culture, and we say, we're going to use this as a part of, of what we do. Like, for example, I think a good, a good example of that, like simple, is technology. There's no biblical 
example that says, you know, that we should use lights or have lights on or air conditioning or, or microphones. But we say, you know what, these things help accomplish the mission of Jesus. So we're to baptize them and use them in a holy way to tell people about Jesus. We baptize that stuff and we use it for God's purposes. Not literally, if you baptize my microphone, I'll be very unhappy with you and send you a bill. Because all of this represents a central truth of the church, which is Jesus is in the business of redeeming and restoring all things. And right now in this moment, he wants to use you to do it. And this will mess with a lot of people, especially people maybe who've been in the church for a long time, because sometimes this messes with our eschatology. That's a fun word, right? Eschatology means study of the end times, pretty much. And a lot of times Christians get real into this whole end of the world shtick. Maybe you've read Left Behind by Tim LaHaye, or you've seen the Nicolas Cage more recent version of that movie. We get real obsessed with the end of the world. And I think that messes with our perspective because we don't see Jesus obsessing about the end of the world. What we see Jesus doing is, is, is focusing his disciples on redeeming and restoring people and the world around them and the kingdom of God that's here and is going to be here in its fullness at the end of the age. And often when we get focused on, on trying to figure out exactly what Revelation is telling us so that we can have 88 reasons why Jesus is coming in 1988. Wait, what year is it? It's because we're obsessed with escaping. When do I get to get out of this brokenness and into Jesus' presence? How do I escape from all of this and, and, and get to the next step? And Jesus is never telling his apostles to try to escape what is going on in the world around them. These apostles are facing death, and they're not trying to escape it. Instead, even as they're scattering because they're being killed, they're saying, how can I embrace the mission of Jesus in an even bigger way? A disciple baptizes. Lastly, a disciple obeys. Oh, this is the fun one. Because Jesus said in teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So as a disciple, we're called to obey the commands of Jesus. And as we disciple people, we have to teach them to obey the commands of Jesus. I could go on all day with this. Oh, we could, I could unpack a lot of scripture and I don't have time. But I picked a few key ones that I want to challenge us as a church first one is John 13, 35. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples, if you love one another. Do people know that we follow Jesus? If they were just looking at our relationships in our church community? Probably. I think we're pretty good at this, actually. But it's always a challenge. Because inevitably, someone is going to do something that you don't like. Probably me. And our challenge, as Jesus tells us to obey everything he has commanded us, 
In those moments where that person has said something, done something, sat in your chair, God forbid, is that the world's going to know that you're his disciple by how you love one another in those moments. Maybe it's a bigger thing. Maybe someone has hurt you or upset you or offended you. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. We're called to for love, to forgive, to have grace with each other as a community and obeying our call as a disciple to do the things that Jesus taught us to do. He said, hey, how many times do you forgive your brother when he sins against you? Seven times? Nuh-uh, Jesus says, no, 70 times seven, or seven to the seventh power, however you want to translate it. He's like, hey, you think you've forgiven them the legal amount that you have to? Well, you have to forgive them way more than that. Because that's the kind of grace that Jesus extends to us. Jesus forgives us 70 times 7 times. Not about you, I screw up 70 times 7 times in a day. And Jesus still loves me. And we're to walk in that authority that Jesus has. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. Therefore, go. We're going in his name, his authority. And so we have to forgive and love like Jesus forgives and loves. I'm running out of time, so let's go through these. John 15, 8. Here's another great thing to obey. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. Bear fruit. That means you're going, and because you're going, there's results. People's lives are being changed. You get to be, you've, you've done something that's participated in Jesus' redeeming and restoring of all things. To God's glory, that you going, there's fruit, and it proves that you are a disciple because what you're doing is bearing fruit. If you're not bearing fruit, you may need to say, Jesus, I need to obey this. How do I reevaluate and make sure I'm not sitting down, that I'm going and that I'm talking to people, I'm loving people, that I'm acting in your love, that I'm baptizing people, whatever it is? You go, you bear fruit. Oh, here's, here's a fun little thing about obeying Jesus. John 15, 18 says, If the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. That's fun. By the way, if you do this Jesus thing, if you really are a disciple, you really go, you obey, you baptize, some people won't like you. Because you're going you're gonna to stand for things that are different than what they stand for. In a world filled with hate and division, standing for love and forgiveness, that one alone is going to make you enemies. No, we shouldn't hate this person. No, we shouldn't not like that. No, we... So when... when I, I, think it's a, I think this is an if, but in my experience, it's a win. When the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. You're really going, people aren't going to like it. Lastly, as we obey, we have to remember the, this call of Jesus. Luke 14, 27, and whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Because ultimately, this obedience call, obeying everything that Jesus has commanded us to do, is a call 
to die. To die to ourselves. To die to our desires, our dreams. To die to the things we want to say and do. To die to that prejudice. To die to that unforgiveness. Die. Pick up our cross. To go under the water. And say, death.